Hello and welcome to the Sonic Cinema Podcast. My name is Brian Scuttle. Thank you for joining me at www.sonic-cinema.com and at the Sonic Cinema Podcast YouTube channel. We're continuing on with the class of 1999 and we're going to a film that is a little bit of a footnote in this year in that um, it's it's much more of a star vehicle. Uh, it's one of the big... It's I wouldn't say it's one of the big star vehicles. It did reasonably well at the box office, but it was definitely uh, a it was definitely a star vehicle in the sense that it was very much a Mel Gibson movie, and uh, it wasn't. And as we'll discuss, um, the production, while it's very much the it's in a way the vision of the the filmmaker. It's also a film where. You see the the idea of the filmmaker and the studio pushing back on one another. It's Brian Helgeland's uh, crime thriller Payback. Join me to discuss the movie. Uh, it, once again, is a uh, writer and director. Uh, I've talked to him already this year about being John Malkovich and bringing out the dead. And I'm pleased to be joined once again by Brian Ackley. Thank you very much for joining me. Hey Brian, yes, it's a pleasure. I'm looking forward to this discussion. Um, payback. When I was coming back to uh, revisiting, when I was going back to through revisiting uh, films from 1999, this was actually one of the first ones I did get to, and uh, it's it's a movie that it came out in February of 1999. It was it was a decent hit uh this was very much sold on as a a mel gibson uh starring vehicle and uh if you look at the trailers if you look at the promotion at the time that's basically how it was treated um there we'll get into the uh post-production and basically sort of what happened with the studio as far as the eventual release of this um, when did you first uh, watch this movie? Um, I I think I caught this um, on uh, DVD. I, I okay. want to say were were DVDs out then? <laughs> Maybe it, I'm thinking they were, VHS. They were in their infancy. They they were. It was it was right before DVDs really took over the uh, big um, format, home video format. So DVDs okay. were were, so, well, were starting to make their way, make their presence felt. This was this would be about a year and a half or two years after I graduated from high school, and I was living with a a good friend of mine, and it was kind of a bachelor pad situation, and uh, because the place was just a complete mess, and um, he had a great great job, and he he loved movies. He would buy movies without even knowing what they were about. Mm-hmm. And I think this movie, I don't think I sought this movie out. I think he just happened to have it, and we threw it in. I may have been doing something else. It was like, in, it, was, it, it was on in the background. And, it, and uh, so I kind of, I discovered it by accident, by pure accident. And once I started, it only takes one scene to really hook you, you know? Yeah. It's almost like any, almost any scene will hook you. So it was a really new way for me to discover such a great film. Okay. Because I was um, nowhere. Yeah. 
So I I actually saw this in theaters. Uh, one of the one of the things about me at this time because I was I was in college at the time, and uh, I I would go to the my mom and I would go to the movies like basically every week, um, and this was this was one that we went to go see together, and uh, she at the time she was she was kind of on the tail end of a. Uh, celebrity crush with Mel Gibson, which is a bit embarrassing to admit to now, given, you know, the past decade of his life. But at the same time, it was it was something where he very much was he very much was a star. And this was at the time like the previous year he had done Lethal Weapon 4, which rounded out that series. He had done Conspiracy Theory, Ransom Braveheart, he had won the Oscars for Braveheart. So he was very much in he was still very much a celebrity and a movie star at the time. And she was she and he was somebody that very much connected with her as far as as a presence on screen. And we would go to see his movies all the time. And uh this this one I think she only saw once I think she only saw it the one time, so it was starting to peter out as far as uh, as far as this. But this this is a movie very much sold on Mel Gibson essentially playing a bad guy, even though in the context of the story being played, he's not really he he's he he's the better of the bad guys, which is to say <laughs> he, he's, yeah. he's, he's got his own very specific moral code. He's got his own idea. He, he's got his own sense of right and wrong uh, that we kind of noticed throughout the film. Uh, the film, by the way, is is based on the novel uh, by uh, Donald E. Westlake. And it's it's a novel that had been previously brought to the screen by John Borman in the '60s as Point Blank with Lee Marvin playing essentially the Mel Gibson character. Oh, okay. So um, this this was um, this was the work of Brian Helgeland, who was coming off of winning an Oscar for *L.A. Confidential*. And he had written a conspiracy theory with Mel Gibson, so this was their uh, this was another collaboration with them after conspiracy theory. And you know, I and the thing is, if you look at the character of Porter, you can really see what would have drawn Mel Gibson to this character. He's very much in the Martin Riggs in the Mad Max sort of mold as far as the type of character, the the sort of rebellious uh character that Mel Gibson will have been playing at this point in his career. And so when as the film was going through um production, they were doing test screenings and the the test screen the original cut that Helgeland had put together did not really test screen well and it was a bit darker was not really it was a lot grittier it it wasn't really the star vehicle that I think Gibson and the studio had wanted so basically 
what happened was they re re rewrote it with uh, Terry Hayes, who would later uh, go on to direct um, Hotel Rwanda. And then I think he was the one who actually directed... I don't remember if Helgeland uh, directed the new scenes or if it was Terry Hayes, but basically Helgeland's original vision of this um, got away from him. And so the theatric... The version that we saw in theaters was this sort of studio version of the movie that is more fan-friendly. It's more... Not not fan-friendly. That's not a good way of putting it. It's more accessible to audiences. Um, And then several years later, Helgeland's original cut did get released on DVD, uh, and it's known as uh, Payback straight up director's cut is and i i actually one of the things i was really kind of excited about when it came to us doing this is it gave me a chance to finally see that cut see helgeland's cut for the first time and it's definitely a different experience but one of the things that is so interesting to me re-watching it and then again comparing it to the um, director's cut is that the theatrical cut is still really entertaining and the the differences in it um, if if you just told me that this was the only cut of the movie meaning the theatrical cut I it, it felt like something that very much would have been uh, it it's something that very much I think will have satisfied me overall, and I mean it's still it's a very fun movie in 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 a lot of ways. The um it, when we when we were uh, well let me start again. <laughs> I've only recently discovered this this director's cut that came out uh, four or five years after the fact after the original. And so in the last like two days, I've just kind of been reading up on it and, um, I wasn't able to get a copy to see the, uh, the director's cut. Mm-hmm. Um, but this whole thing, this is like a, it's really, it's really neat, uh, because there's so much that is different about it. Yeah. Uh, and then on top of that, from what I, from the little that I've seen, there are some clips, uh, without the the color grade, without the blue tin color grade, mm-hmm. so the uh, the director's cut version. There's a couple of clips on um, YouTube, and based on what I've read about what a lot of these differences are, um, I really don't think I would like the director's cut. In fact, it seems like the 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 theatrical release version has more of an auteur uh, feel to it, style mm-hmm. to it. It's so. So brash, especially in the times, you know, between yeah. the, uh, the color grade and the voiceover, you know, you just don't get that noirish uh, type of storytelling. You didn't then, you know. I guess it's come, it's come back. Yeah. Uh, so well, still, it's, you just don't get that very often. Mm-hmm. So I don't think that I will like would like the um, director's cut version, but I'm 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 curious, man. I'm very curious because I hear that the whole third act was re. Rewritten. Um, uh, so, how much of it was at, was reshot? Um, because, well, like you yeah. said, I mean the the third act of it is very different. Um, it is. It ends. It it 
the the theatrical cut has a somewhat conventional um happy ending for for Porter the Mel Gibson character whereas the 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 original the director's cut is a little bit more um it's 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 a <laughs> little bit uh more in keeping with film noir uh and 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 that's that's the biggest difference between the director's cut and the theatrical cut the director's cut is very much more of a film noir piece as opposed to a uh crime movie and i mean they're both crime movies but like the the theatrical one is definitely more of a uh, crime thriller and it doesn't really play with the same it doesn't have the same type of ideas as far as film noir it doesn't have the same callbacks to film noir and what we consider film noir from like the 40s and 50s the the one if if you would if if the movie had been made in, if the director's cut had been made in, uh, like the forties and fifties, and obviously it would have to be like the violence and stuff like that would be muted for, you know, the time it would fit very much in that same, uh, time frame as far as the type of movie it was. I, I, I personally see, I, I actually personally think the otherwise, I, I do think the, I see why, I feel like the director's cut is a better version of it, but at the same time, it's it's hard to not really enjoy the theatrical version. Yeah, cool. So okay. Yeah. Yeah. But um, as far as as far as differences, you mentioned the color grading. Uh, that's very much the the blue tint is very much something from the theatrical version that they did. Uh, it's not as, but the thing that I like about the director's cut it still has some grit to it, even if it doesn't have that uh, tinted, that that blue tint to the uh, visuals. It it still feels very gritty. It still feels like something mm-hmm. out of the sixties and seventies. Um, the the music is a bit different as far as the way, like this the. The straight up cut is a bit more jazzy. Uh, the soundtrack to the 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 theatrical one is a bit more conventional. It's still really entertaining score. Both of them have really good scores and soundtracks to them. Uh, the the director's cut's a bit jazzier. Uh, there's it it starts with audio flashbacks as opposed to narration. So over the opening credits, it has audio flashbacks basically so instead of us seeing what happens sort of seeing what happens to porter uh it it shows us it we we hear it more than we actually see it um the way it uses flashbacks it shows it it shows more flashbacks as opposed to uh just being more of a straight line narrative um, especially when it comes to scenes with his uh, wife, um, and uh, it's it's very much in the thing about the director's cut. It's while Porter is very much still the main character, um, it's more about the world that Porter lives in 
rather than just following him on this journey that he's going on to try to collect the $70,000, which he is owed from his partner and his wife who have double-crossed him. Say that last part again. It's more, the, the director's cut is more about so, the so uh, world. It, it feels, so, it feels, so it feels like it. one of the things I wrote down is, uh, let's see, this, this, this cut being the director's cut is, much, is as much about the world that Porter lives in rather than just focusing on Porter himself okay. focusing on his journey. Like, you, you don't really... Like, one of the big things is... Uh, Chris Christopherson's... You, you don't see the, the main bad guy in this. You, you don't see the main bad guy, the one played by Chris Christopherson in the theatrical cut. Um, it's just a voice over a uh, telephone. <coughs> so that's one way in which the... Um, it's one way in which the uh, ending of it's very different. Um... But I definitely, I, I definitely, uh, I, I do really like the movie overall. It's still a very fun movie. It's a very fun uh, piece of crime entertainment. I mean, that's one of the things that I really like about Helgeland as a filmmaker, and it's kind of a shame that he hasn't really, it occurred to me re-watching this and then watching the director's cut that it's like, we haven't, it feels like we haven't really heard from him in a while. And I think, I think like, because after this, he did Night's Tale, which a lot of people really like, and it's a fun movie. And then he did a couple of other movies, and then we really have not see, seen too much more from him over the past few years. So it's actually kind of surprising to see the way his career sort of dropped off after this. Yeah, I guess I've only I'm looking at his uh, IMDb DB page now. Um, I've only seen forty two after payback. Oh yeah, that's right. I haven't seen that was the most recent thing. And I didn't really care for that much. Yeah. So can you tell me what the uh, what I didn't have a chance to look up old reviews? How was the theatrical release? Um, received by audiences and by critics well audiences it was a deep it was a fair hit it was about 80 million dollars which i mean was kind of low for gibson at the time but at the same time it, it was for the type of movie it was for how gritty the movie is as far as being an r-rated movie and the the fact that it's very much a crime thriller and it has dominatrixes and stuff like that. Um, it's, I mean, it was about 80 million. So, I mean, it's a fair hit. It's a decent size hit. Um, I, I didn't really have anybody that I knew that overly disliked it. I mean, I know people who've, you know, people who've enjoyed it. So, um, it's, you know, and critically, I think it was fine. I think critically it did fine. I mean, by, by the time it did come out, I mean, the story had already been out as far as sort of what had happened behind the scenes. So, I mean, people knew they weren't necessarily getting the cut that Helgeland in 
originally envisioned. But at the same time, it's it's one of those things where it's like there's there's nothing overly I don't think there's enough that's overly different from one cut to the other to where if knowing sort of like what happened, the only the main reason you might be upset about not seeing Helgeland's cut at the time is the fact that it's like, well, the studio sort of kind of took it away from him, which is kind of unfortunate, but it's still a really entertaining movie. And I critically speaking, I think it did pretty decently. So now I just want to make sure that I'm under the impression that Mel Gibson's company was one of the production companies that put this thing, put this thing together. Yeah. Yeah. Icon productions. He, he was one of the, uh, producer one, him, him and, uh, his producing partner at the time, Bruce Davies were, uh, Davey was, uh, they were involved in, uh, creating this. I mean, I think, yeah, I, I think... wonder how, go ahead. I wonder how much of a hand um, Gibson had in directing the the reshoots. I I can't actually. Let me let me go to let me go to the IMDb page to see because I thought Terry Jones was the one who directed it, but let me see. Um, because yeah, I think I think Terry. Yeah, I think Terry Hayes was the one who was. Let's see. I don't know if it's. And then I even read the, something about Gibson having I read something about Gibson having something to do with the rewrites, also with Terry. Yeah. Um. So that you can't, yeah. I mean, it's all a possibility. You can't, you can't trust. Yeah. All, all of what IMDb says. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I thought, I thought I, I thought they had. But I mean, I thought they had. I, the only thing I'm noticing just off the, uh, off the top of my head is just looking at IMDb pages that just says that uh, Helgeland was fired shortly after. Um, shortly after he had won the Oscar for uh, L.A. Confidential. So, I mean, that was about 98 is when he got fired from the film. Um, and 30% of the movie was reshot after that. I'm pretty sure it was Terry Hayes that uh, directed the reshoots. I mean, I'm sure Gibson probably had a say in that as well. Um, let's see... Oh wait a minute! Actually, uh, actually no. Wait a minute. It does say here. Uh, production designer John Meyer supposedly um, either Gibson said that he was the one who directed the reshoots, but also according to what his personal website, Paul Ab Abiscal was the director hired. So what did he direct? But I mean the the whole point the the whole point overall of this is that okay he's mainly known for TV so and he had worked with Gibson before so that kind of makes sense um, but I mean the the 
but overall the the point of all of this is basically that like the the film was taken away from Helgeland uh after the studio did not really um well let me bring like up something that. because um you because the the the, the phrasing that you use uh, it, it it assumes that it was Hegelman's project from the start. Yeah. Or Hegelman's projects from the start. And that may not necessarily be the case. It could have been Gibson's from the start. Right. I mean, it could have been his production because this seems like something, like you were saying, it seems like something Gibson would do. Yeah. Um, And so Gibson could have brought, you know, his production company could have brought Hegelman on straight, you know, as a writer and then as a director and not been happy with it. So and then take and then took the project back. Yeah. So I mean, according if if you know, because the thing is, it's like IMDb is always you know, it's like whether it's IMDb, whether it's Wikipedia, you always wonder whether it's accurate or not. I mean, Helgeland supposedly was working on this script uh, during post production on Conspiracy Theory, and so. Um, and then Gibson looked at the script um, and saw the first act and he was interested. Uh, so I think to a certain extent it was a little bit more collaborative, but okay. the fact of the matter is, uh, but ultimately if you do watch the director's cut, I mean, I can see why based on the director's cut that I can see why Gibson would have wanted to do the film. Because it is it is a character both as a piece with his previous work, as far as Mad Max, as far as Lethal Weapon, as far as those type of rogue hero type characters, it fits in well with what he's familiar with. But at the same time, I can also see him watching the that and the the director's cut and going, yeah, that's probably a bit darker than I was hoping. And wanting to change it a little bit to be more of, make it a little bit more of a vehicle for him. Because really, I mean, that's the thing about the theatrical cut, is that the theatrical cut is very much a, it, it is very much a movie star vehicle. Um, it's, it's basically Mel Gibson working his way through uh, the, the criminals, working it, working his way up the ladder to get $70,000. And then he has run-ins with a couple of corrupt police officers played terrifically by Bill Duke and Jack Conley. Uh, He has a dominatrix that he has to deal with, who's played wonderfully by Lucy Liu. And then, um, and then he has to go through the uh, chain of command in terms of, um, William Devane, then James Coburn, and then Chris Christopherson. So I mean, you see the you see the shape of the storytelling in the theatrical cut, and it's kind of the same. It just takes in the director's cut, but at the same time, like the you see the two, where the two veer in different directions. And it's really, if if for no other reason, it's interesting to watch the director's cut, even if you prefer the theatrical, 
because there's nothing wrong with the theatrical cut's really entertaining and it's really a lot of fun to watch um it's it's one of those things where are you still there yep yep okay just want to make sure it's it's one of those yep. things where um <clears throat> I can you know it makes a lot of sense to be able to enjoy the theatrical cut, but at the same time, as as if if you're more interested in having in like film noir, if you're more interested in that type of crime, the director's cut is a good example of how you can take a story like Payback and take in that direction as well. Yeah. Uh, well, I want to talk about uh, um performance. Yeah. Um, and get your take on get your take on um, on his performance in, in comparison to a lot of his earlier work, particularly in that de in that that decade. Yeah. Um, because you uh, to me, that he his the character roughly fits into the story. The character roughly fits into the Mel Gibson persona. Yeah. Uh, the <laughs> but I don't quite see it as a star as a star vehicle um, as you do uh, because the character is so different than what he's played before. And I and this is going and apparently the director's cut is even more rough. Yeah. I mean uh, compared to you and what i've read yeah and, and that's so a, the so the slasher, and that's part that? of and i think that's part of why uh I, I think that's part of why they ended up changing so much of the movie anyway after seeing the director's guys because yeah his, his character is definitely much more rough uh it's 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 a bit it's a it's very much a darker type of character that we were used to seeing him in at the time um i i am somebody who you know re regardless of how one feels about mel gibson as an individual i've always thought he is a he's an incredibly underrated actor um i i i love performances of his like in ransom i think he does wonderful work in conspiracy theory uh, he he did some fantastic work in the uh, first two Lethal Weapon movies. He he does really strong work in a lot of his movies. Um, Payback is definitely i I would say I would say he's really um, I don't know where I would put in terms of I would probably say it's for in the. I would say it's probably in the top 10 of his performances for payback. Um, I would, I would put it up there. I don't know if I could necessarily go top five. Um, it's probably close to six, seven or so. I, I would say it's a really good performance of his though. Would you say, here's the key question for you though. Would you say that his performance is an outside the box performance for him? And and so and for me because I I I think so and I I thought so when I first saw it that's what really drew me in basically I see it as almost being the opposite of the winking at the camera character that he'd right. play in L the Lethal Weapon movies right and even in uh, yes. Maverick 
So yeah. it's not, this isn't a playful movie or a playful performance at all. Right. So would you see it as outside the box performance? Um, I, I think in, if you take in consideration a lot of what he was doing at the time, a lot of what's on the out, on the before this and after this in terms of, yeah, I mean, you, you look at Lethal Weapon 3 and 4, they're definitely more jokey. Uh, Maverick, like you mentioned, is a comedic performance, uh, star performance of his. Um, Conspiracy Theory has a lot of... Um, it's got a lot of dynamics. It's not really a dark performance, but it's got some darkness, but it's also got a lot of really good humor where he's capable of really good humor in it. Um so in terms of what he was doing at the time, I would say it's it's out outside the box of what he was doing at the time. But at the same time, if you're familiar with like the first two Lethal Weapon movies, if you're familiar with the two, first two Mad Max movies, and other and even Ransom, which was a few years before this. Uh, it's 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 very much in keeping with it's it's keeping with oh, the with persona that I go. think he was. Yeah. It's it's keeping with the persona they was comfortable with. So even if it's kind of outside of the box for that time frame of Gibson's career, I think it's definitely very much of a piece with a lot of Gibson's work. You know what? What? Uh, and I might be wrong about that because you, he does go to dark places when playing with other characters within even that decade. So what what really stood out for me, maybe why I why I headed in that direction, was the uh, I, was how how strange and interesting a decision it was to to essentially create a crime comedy. Because yeah. this film has a lot of comedy in it, but Mel Gibson is not the source of most of that comedy. Yeah, yeah, it's other so characters. Any other, like most any other film of Mel Gibson's where comedy and action yeah. and crime are involved, Mel Gibson is dishing out a lot of that comedy. Right. But not in this film. And I find that so wildly interesting a decision to make and, or, you know, a bunch of people's decisions to make, really, but, and entertaining. It, it was... Uh, yeah. Yeah, so that's kind of where I was coming from. No, and that's and that's an excellent point, and it it goes to the fact that this this is probably one of the best supporting casts that Gibson's ever had in one of his movies. Oh, it's a, um, such a great you, cast. Yeah, you, you look at William Devane, you look at James Coburn, you look at Chris Christopherson as the main bad guys. You have Maria Bello as the hooker. He has a relationship with. You look at Deborah Unger as his wife who screws him over with the the fantastic Greg Henry. You had David Paymer who's always fun regardless of yeah. what he's in. You have <laughs> Bill Duke and Zach Conley and then you have Lucy Liu. It's a phenomenal cast. It is it very really, true. And you're absolutely yeah. right. And I even even rewatching it a few months ago, it occurred to me that like you're you're absolutely right. There is there is very much that type of humor that you're used to in a Mel Gibson movie, but at the same time, he's not the one dishing it out. And that's what makes it's it so, so inverted. It's crazy. 
Yeah. Yeah. I love the cast also. The cast is top notch. Who yeah. the the one? Well, you maybe you have a, a sta- an all star standout. Mine is a is the guy who played Val. Uh, what's his name? Greg uh, Henry. Greg. Yeah. 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 He's he, he's and he has some of the best lines. <clears throat> yeah. Do you yeah, have a standout? Uh, yeah. Your performance. Yeah, I would say he's probably. I would he him and Lucy Liu are probably the two that stand out the most. I mean, Lucy Liu's more because of the fact that it's like she just she she just really goes to eleven when it comes to playing the dominatrix role. Yeah, and I mean, that, you consider that dynamic. She really, and you consider the fact yeah. that like that was right around the time Ally McBeal started, and then later on, and then I think her next big movie project after this was Charlie's Angels. So, um, it it's, but yeah, I mean, Greg Henry's probably other than Gibson, probably my next favorite performance in the movie. Um, but yeah, just the supporting cast in this movie is just really good and just really strong. And it gives him a lot, it gives Gibson a lot to play off of too. Yeah, definitely. I mean, if you look at the three, the three essentially, I mean, I guess there are a bunch of villains, but the three, the syndicate, the main yeah. three top uh, villains, there, there ends up not being too much that happens with them because you're because there's so much happening in the story. There's so much plot, but the 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 portrayals of these characters are so well done that they're threatening. Like yeah. as soon as uh, Chris Christopherson comes on the screen. He he just has a threatening um, presence, and right. and this is when while he's in the presence of his son, even you know, yeah. he just has a. Um, it's just in his. It's in the uh-huh. same with the others. Uh, they these characters aren't really in it that much, but but there you sense the uh, the great deal of danger that that mm-hmm. that that Porter is in. Yeah, and 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 the thing that's the thing that's really fun about this is that it is, it's it's not the type of, it it's not really the type of crime movie that we were necessarily used to at the time. It's almost, and I mean, it is almost a little bit like, it's not really a it in it it's not a Tarantino clone, you know, like we saw a lot of movies that played with, you know, that that tried to, tried to be Pulp Fiction after Pulp Fiction. This one is very much not necessarily uh-huh. in that vein, but, I mean, it's sort of in that vein with the level of dark humor, which, with the use of supporting casts and large ensembles and stuff like that. Oh, well, I see, yeah. In terms of yeah. telling, a, telling a story that's more than just about his main character. Yeah, definitely, definitely, and that that also plays into the idea of um, enriching the entire world, the atmosphere mm-hmm. of the film, and not just it's not you're not just following a a character. Yeah, um, you're you're experiencing these the the different spaces that the character occupies, and then the dynamics between the 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 uh, each of the different villains too. Um, so it's it's really uh, it's a you get a sense of this crime world as a real place. Yeah. And, and so that's, that's one of the things that's really uh, good about this. And, and the thing is, it's like you, 
Um, it's it's just it's just a really fun movie. It's like, and this is this is something that's really kind of interesting because of the fact that you know we we've talked this year about these different movies that are mainly director driven. And I mean, to a certain extent, Payback is in that vein, even though Helgeland ended up uh, not not really having anything to do with the final product that came out in theaters. But it is still, if you look at his previous work in L.A. Confidential, you look at uh, what we see on screen in Conspiracy Theory, you can tell that there's a very particular voice when it comes to crime and when it comes to this type of thriller. And it's basically, it's something that's not necessarily, that we didn't necessarily see a lot of in the era it's not necessarily something that <clears throat> they weren't big action extravaganzas. I mean, there's action in payback, but there's not lots. I mean, there's action in conspiracy theory, but there's yeah. not really a lot. And then there, there, there are cer- certainly action scenes in LA Confidential, but in all of those cases, it's more about the characters and the character stories and how those stories are. Uh, moving forward to their conclusion. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um <coughs> what do you what else do you have uh do you have anything that you want else that you want to uh point out when it came to payback? No, not 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 really, not really. Um there yeah, like you said, I mean, I guess there I didn't find it to be too much of a film to pull things away from. It's it's yeah. the kind of film. It's a very smart film, <laughs> but it's it, it's like it's 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 entertaining. It's just yeah. a fun ride. Yeah, it's and true. yeah, there it's. Yeah. No, go ahead. You you can't like you know I, I noted the opening shot. Yeah. Um, the opening shot I should say in the theatrical version, um, and it's a um, it's an ashtray filled with cigarettes and 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 a, and a cigarette being put out, mm-hmm. and every. Like there's a lot of smoking in the film, and it's a dirty it's a dirty film. So yeah, just the idea that you know we open we we open on this film, and right away it tells you you know this is going to be dirty, this is nasty, this is kind of gross, um, and and it, it you know raw gritty all these other uh, synonyms, yeah, and um, I don't know you get you end up getting more more of that, mm-hmm. uh, and and you also the the first few shots are close-ups there are a lot of close-ups so this is kind of this is a film that gets in your face right uh and uh but i mean other than that i just see it as being very smart storytelling that has found its found the right pace it seems to get every note there are a couple little things that are really uh illogical um like real small moments (laughs) And but they're so easily forgivable because the 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 entire film is just so well done. Yeah, there's a moment like when uh, Re- Resnick is that uh, Val? Uh, yeah, that's uh, that's that's his, that's his last name. Yeah, Val Resnick. Oh, oh no no not oh. Resnick's character. I mean um, David Palmer's character. Oh okay. When he gets when he gets um, when he gets shot when he gets killed. The, the the chows drive up and they they throw their weapons out there and start shooting up the the yeah. taxi cab, um, 
and uh, and Porter slams uh, uh, Palmer's uh, yeah. body up against the wind <laughs> to protect himself. And then he leaves, and the body just somehow magically <laughs> just stays in place. Uh, that is just so ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's like, well, you know, a movie has to have some kind of flaw, you know? Yeah. <laughs> well, and the, the thing that's uh, interesting about this is that, like, it one of the things I do like about it and is that it's not really married to a specific time and place. Like, it... If if it if you told me that it took place in the seventies, I would believe it. If you took told me it took place in the eighties or sixties or something like that, I would believe it. But it 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 makes it makes you wonder like what at the same time, the fact that he's only looking for seventy thousand and that's one of the running jokes of the movie is that really it's like you <laughs> You know, they always think yeah. it's more than what he's asking for. It's like, no, that's I just want seventy thousand. That's all I want. And it's like, I I like that. That's sort of a running joke because of the fact that it is. If you if you're watching it in nineteen ninety nine, you're like, how are you living off of seventy thousand dollars? <laughs> I mean, that that feels hard to do, <laughs> but. You, yeah, they, they they may even overdo it a little bit, uh, but I I remember. I mean, I always loved that running gag, yeah. it, and it speaks to his moral code, as you mentioned before. Mm-hmm. But I do find when you when you look at the film a little too much, I started to look at the film a little too much. I found that it does this moral code idea does start to fall apart though, uh, because it's not meant to be studied. And so basically, um, what you have is a character who. Because he's been cheated, he's willing to cheat other people. Right. And he does cheat other people um, in, in small in small ways. And so this kind of plays into him being a bad, you know, a bad guy. Yeah. But he's not exactly just a bad guy with other bad guys. Mm-hmm. He's a bad guy to the com- some common people. Yeah. Like when he, he's the identity off of this, this random guy off the street. And he's and he steals the cigarettes off of the waitress, mm-hmm. and all this happens within the first five minutes. Yeah, and so he's set up to be, you know, kind of a jerk, kind of, you know, not. Mm-hmm. But and but he's justified because he's been shot in the back. I yeah. guess. <laughs> well, and, and and that plays into the tagline of the movie, which is "Get ready to root for the bad guy." I mean, that's basically the mo of this film: is that you're going to be rooting for a bad guy. Like in any other movie, this guy would be the one he he would be the villain, but in this particular case filled with other villains who have arguably, you know, treated him worse. He's kind of the good guy, and he's he but ultimately he's also the one that we're gonna be rooting for as well. And like you mm-hmm. said, I mean, there's not really a lot to really break down as far as themes as far as ideas it's basically just a really entertaining crime thriller and i mean that's all it is and that's fine because like we haven't really like we haven't really uh dealt with a lot of escapism in this uh this retrospective of 1999 i mean we've i've talked about the mummy i've talked about fan mess i've talked about the matrix but i mean even stuff like fan mess and matrix there's a little bit more, at least with the Matrix, there's a little bit more on the surface as far as thematically that you can get into. You know, something like The Mummy, it's more pure escapism. 
you know, something like American Pie is more pure escapism. And so, I mean, payback's kind of the same way. And it's, 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 an, it's an example of this year, of this year of 1999 being such a rich year because of the fact that even, even if you're talking about, like, this movie doesn't really do a whole lot stylistically that is necessarily groundbreaking, although there are certainly some really great things interesting things that happen stylistically in this movie. It's just a fun movie to watch. And I mean, that's perfectly fine. Yeah, exactly. It's just the, the simple, not that it's simple, but the, the <laughs> storytelling yeah. was just done. Well, it didn't have to be, you, you don't like you're saying, you didn't have to break any ground, just do what you do, but do it well. Yeah. And this is a decent story. The story itself isn't even, the, you know, right. original. <laughs> really, you know, bad guy is, is is betrayed, and then he goes through a chain of of events to get revenge, uh, or not revenge, but uh, retribution, I guess. Yeah. Um, but it's just done so well on pretty much every level. Yeah, and I'm very curious about. Uh, at some point, I'm going to be hunting down the. Uh, the director's cut because I'm very curious about it. There's all sorts of there's changes, you know, different scenes, but the music is yeah. is going to be different. It's going to have a different feel. Yeah. Uh, so I'm definitely going to be. Yeah. Yeah, and I definitely, I'll definitely be curious of uh, your thoughts on it when you do watch it. I'll be curious to see how you feel about it compared to the theatrical one. I I think overall, I I feel like the director's cuts a bit is a bit better at what it's doing, but I, I think that the, there's nothing wrong with the theatrical cut. The theatrical cut's fun. It's entertaining. It's, it's a piece of like, like we've said, it's just a piece of escapism. It's, it's just a crime movie for the sake of being a crime movie. And, you know, there's not really more, much more to it. It's not trying to illuminate anything deep. It's just trying to be a fun movie. And I think it definitely pulls that off. You said the source material is a novel from the 40s? Uh, I don't know when uh, the Westlake novel was written, but um, the the first movie that was made into was Point Blank by John Borman. It was a 60s uh, movie uh, starring Lee Marvin in essentially the Mel Gibson role, which I've not seen Point Blank. I know it's supposed to be a terrific movie. I just... Haven't had a chance to see it yet. Yeah, I'm curious about that too. Is that is there then any there can't is there any relation to then the the point blank that came out years later? I think it was like the later later nineties. I mean later eighties or was that the nineties? Oh, you point blank point break. Uh, Are you talking? Oh, about I'm the, thinking of point yeah, break. Yeah, point break. That's a that's a different movie. But uh, okay. <laughs> Yeah, I, I get those names. I've I've gotten those titles confused myself because they're, they're it's <laughs> just the one letter difference, but uh, or a couple of letters uh, difference. Yeah, no, but, I uh, take that back. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, surfing. <laughs> no, I take that back. But um, yeah, it's it's I I will say, and one of the things that uh, you know, the director's cut is ninety minutes long. The theatrical cut is hundred and one minutes long. I like in both cases that there's there's not really a lot of fat on this movie. It's very trimmed down. It's 
it it just there's nothing that there I wouldn't think there are really any scenes in the theatrical cut that I'm like, eh, that probably didn't need to be in there. Like everything sort of serve serves a particular purpose when it comes to telling this story. Yeah, it's pretty tight. Yeah. Even the uh, I mean so the film the film slows down when uh with with Maria Bello's with Rosie's scenes, yeah. Um, so that you have a little bit of the romance, which is a good back to the to the character to the Porter's, you know, previous, you know, right. uh, that that old life that he had. <laughs> um, and but even and it's there. Some of it may feel a little tedious, but um, this is after me watching it like a dozen times, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but no, I think everything. I think even those scenes are mostly tight. And then, of course, she becomes leverage for Val character, so she has to be important. Right. Uh, but you're you're absolutely right. Everything fits very nicely. It's a very tight film. Mm-hmm. One thing I did notice at the, I like to try to find different um, uh, different uh, symbol, either symbolism or different things that show what, what's happening below the surface. You know. And I thought it was a pretty, pretty um, intentional uh, choice to have uh, to have Rosie drive at the end. She's the one that that gets into the driver's seat yeah. and drives away, only because that Porter used to be her driver. And mm-hmm. then the, just a few scenes before that, you know, they had this exchange where they kind of come to realize Rosie should have should have should have uh, stopped hustling a while back. And he should have stopped driving her, right. you know. So they had this little exchange, which works really cool. And so the idea that the film ends by Gibson giving up the wheel, essentially, uh, then you can kind of infer. Well, you can automatically, you can. It's suggested anyway that they're going to be uh, yeah. starting over. Anyway. Uh, but I thought that was a nice detail that mm-hmm. it, that she that it's Rosie who drives. Yeah. <clears throat> well, that. Bye. Thank you very much for uh, joining me to uh, talk about payback today. Oh yeah, thank you very much. Also, uh, another great film, man, and uh, it's a great talking to you about it and hearing what you have to say about it. Yeah, I'd like to thank Brian Ackley for joining me today. Uh, it's always fun to talk to him. I've talked to him a few times. He was the uh, writer of Twenty Fifty. You can hear my interview with him and Prince and Holt on that movie on the Sonic Cinema podcast, as well as going back to our previous 1999 discussions on being John Malkovich, as well as bringing out the dead. Coming up is going to be an October like I haven't done here in a while. I'm getting away from the uh, October horror month this year just because I'll probably still do my 10 favorites as far as horror movies as well as some new movies that come out. But ultimately speaking, I'm focusing more on getting ready for the last big push of the Sonic Cinema Podcast's Class of 1999 series. And with that, we'll include podcasts on three of the biggest horror movies of 1999. We talked about a couple of the worst ones with... uh, Phil Faso earlier in the year. We're going to talk about three of the better ones. And I look forward to those discussions as well as more um, from 1999. 
Uh, hit me up on patreon.com backslash Sonic Cinema, as well as the Sonic Cinema YouTube channel. But for now, this is Brian Scuttle. Thank you for joining me at www.sonic-cinema.com. Thank you.